Jazzguitarlessons.net, improve your jazz guitar playing with a real teacher. Welcome to podcast number 26. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about an improvisational method by Lee Konitz, the famous saxophone player. Lee Konitz was perhaps a one of the best jazz improvisers of the 20th century and still in the 21st century. So here's the, the backstory about this podcast. There's a blog post, there's a page on jazzguitarlessons.net that you can find at this URL, jazzguitarlessons.net slash lee-konitz, that's K-O-N-I-T-Z dot H-T-M-L, where I took a method that was first published in a, in a magazine, it was probably Downbeat, where he describes 10 steps or as he's saying, 10 gradients of improvisation, how to start from the melody and then wind up playing pure solo, pure uh, your own improvisational ideas, right? So I wrote this blog post probably about five years ago. Um, it's really interesting what happens is I was listening to a Kenny Wheeler album that I highly recommend, it's called Angel Song. And there was a saxophone solo that just, it took me... Um, to a very interesting emotional place. It's very well done, it sounds great, it's very uh, thorough, it's very thoughtful, and it's very beautiful. And I said, who's that? <laughs> who's playing the saxophone? And it's Ke uh, Lee Konitz, right? born in 1927, he's an American jazz composer. Uh, he's from Chicago, and he had, he's one of the few guys that was a contemporary to uh, you know the other bebop guys, such as Charlie Parker, and that didn't sound like bebop. They didn't sound the same. So um, there's other players like him, such as Paul Desmond, Art Pepper. Uh, they were strongly influenced by Lee Konitz's approach. Um, so what can we learn from this is really what you can find. The PDF, the examples uh, on the page are transcribed directly from Lee's writing. Uh, of course, it was, it was written for the saxophone at first, so I took the liberty of doing it for um, for guitar, right? So it's on all the things you are. It's a tune that I take as an example a lot in the blog posts on the website, on the videos or during my private lessons because it's a timeless progression. Everybody knows that tune and everybody's still playing it to improvise. So recently, about a week ago, uh, I received an email on jazzguitarlessons.net and somebody asked me to maybe do a podcast and specify the steps that are found on the page, on the blog post, because the page is, I guess, as I'm looking at it right now, is, I guess, 800 words or so, maybe a thousand words. And um, the, this is, you know, really what's happening. I don't have enough space when I'm writing a blog post to, to be very specific in the exercise. So here we go. We're going to cover the first um, the, the 10 gradients of improvisation, but first I have this other idea. I read interviews and stuff about Lee Konitz, and if you're a total beginner, you might want to just try that. It's going to be enough for you for now. Take a tune. That's before the 10 steps for improvisation. Just when first you look at a tune, you're like, what's happening? Take a separate sheet of paper, write the chord progression on it only, then play whole notes, so say it's the tunes in 4-4, like all the things you are, you're only, allowed to, you're only allowed to play notes within the chord, so you're only allowed to play 1, 3, 5, and 7, and then you run through the chord progression in this way by tapping your foot or with the metronome at a slow tempo. You do this playing only one note per bar until you've memorized the chord progression, until you don't have to look at the chord symbols anymore. 
It will happen automatically if you just <laughs> have your eyes on the piece of paper all the time. That's going to happen. That, that's what happens to me anyways. So then after you can do that with one note per bar, the second step is to do it with two notes per bar. You're playing half notes and still you're only allowed to play chord tones, one, three, five, and seven. And the third step, you've guessed it, you play quarter notes, like a walking bass, but only on the good arpeggio notes. Then only do you allow yourself to improvise for real with eight notes and triplets and whatnot. So that's um, a little Lee Conant secret that's not part of the blog post, and the part of the 10 gradients for improv, but I think it makes a lot of sense. All right. So let's get going into the gradients for improvisation. Um, that was, um, as I'm looking at this right now, the blog post on my computer, I think it was published in the, published in the mid 90s or so uh, in Downbeat. And the first gradient is basically play the melody. Uh, so there's nothing around it. You're not adding, you're not subtracting. So no brainer. Second gradient is where you want to, um, you want to identify the target notes. So what you can do is to ornament a little bit, but you don't ornament too much, meaning that you would play the melody and you would not, you would displace it a little bit, you know, a little bit before, a little bit after. So it would be likely that second gradient is how you would play the melody to all the things you are on a gig. You would not just play it bare bone as it's written because it's ta 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 So this is boring, right? So you would modify it. That's kind of a second gradient. You can move the melody around. That's really what I meant when I wrote down. You can shorten the duration or elongate the duration to fit different things in between, but always play uh, the most important notes of the melody, you keep playing them. Now, third step, and that's probably where your nose is going to start to bleed. Uh, you can start to use different devices to add neighbor tones, as I wrote in the blog post, mostly diatonic, uh, but there's, so it's almost like step two, but you have more, way more ornaments, but we still hear the melody, but you allow yourself to go in and add notes in between more so than in second step. In the second step, it's like, as I told you, you play the melody on a gig, you play around it a little bit, but not too much. But third step would be like, if you play like that on a gig, when it's the time to play the melody, you would be pushing your luck. Imagine what would be too much ornaments so that people kind of think it's a solo, but you, you still hear the melody in, in the middle of it. That's third gradient, really. Now, Step four, um, I, I wrote in the blog post, you can maybe follow along or look at the PDF while you listen to this podcast. Uh, step two and three are, are hard to differentiate, differentiate, not for me personally, because I know I kind of practiced it and I know what the, the big idea here, but fourth gradient, there's no, uh, no problem or anything. There's no, um, there's no distinction to make between the third and the fifth. Fourth gradient is the first time you allow yourself playing um, eight notes. So you're using the guide tones, you're using the important notes of the melody, but you're playing a stream of eight notes that use the important notes. So it's like step three, where you systematically play eight notes in between. So you may have to end your line on a melody note, or it may be, maybe the melody will be buried inside a melodic line. So this is, for me, it's really straightforward. If you know the melody well, you know the scale around it well, it will come. So 
maybe um, about 80 or 90% of the jazz guitarists that I, I teach or that I work with through jazzguitarlessons.net, I guess that the fourth gradient is where we have all the work to do. Um, and as you go into the fifth, sixth, and seventh, and eighth gradient, this is more for advanced players, as as you will be able to tell, because just to execute a stream of eight note lines and then ornament, um, uh, sorry, have a stream of eight note eight note lines that's based off the melody requires uh, quite a bit of technique, and it requires also that you you know your instrument, and it requires you know it's kind of a good a good thing to do fourth gradient. And you should be looking, uh, looking to improve and get your fifth grade gradient going on. So um, here's the another hard to, to make distinction. Fifth gradient is like still having your, your eighth note that you get that passes through all the melody, but you you are allowed to displace the melody notes. That's really the, the big takeaway. They don't have to be, you know how we said step one. This is your basic melody. Step two, you kind of displace the notes. Well, same thing with step four and five. Step four, you have all the ornaments around the melody. In step five, you're allowed to move the melody around and you're allowed to make way more chromaticism or arpeggios to outline what you're, you're going through. Um, this is cool because now you're starting to not hear the melody because it's so displaced or it's so buried inside your line. That would be fifth gradient. So think of four and five, the same thing as one and two, but with more, more, um, of course, with more stuff around it. Um, step six is really where you can start to think of extensions, but not necessarily alterations. So the um, the first thing to note that Lee is saying in, in the article is you you put more importance on the non uh, non target notes, non melody notes. Like your own thing is becoming more important for the first time. It's like the halfway point. The fifth step, the target note, the melody note, were still the most important. In the sixth gradient, it's like, well, your ornaments take over, as I said in the blog post. And it can be built from higher extension. You use your ninths and your 13, six, whatever. Uh, that's a really interesting one. And step seven just takes it further by saying, we want step six, but now you're allowed to use the non like the crunchy notes, the flat nine, the sharp nine, you're allowed to use the notes that are outside to have even more chromaticism. So six and seven are pairs. You see, you probably notice those exercises, they kind of come into pairs. So you say one and two is the same as four and five, and then six and seven, they're, they're grouped together. There's a slight difference. But you see, if you do, you heard me do step six, and I have a melody that's kind of buried that I accord, there's less importance on the melody and target notes, and then I go to seven, and I do the exact same thing, but I'll pass the flat nine or flat flat thirteen or extension or alteration when I'm I, I'm I had a, a chance to do it. You'll hear the difference. It's gonna sound out out or it's gonna sound more out if you want. Um, eight gradient. So we only have eight, nine, and ten to go. Um, the the most uh, the this is the Eighth gradient is the step where I think you, uh, as I wrote in the blog post, you listen to Jim Hall and those guys that tend to develop smaller ideas and that's really what, where it stands. So the melody is still there, but it's not very obvious. Sometimes you hear Pat Metini do that also. It's like 
he will tell you in an interview, oh, I'm still using that idea. I'm still using this interval or, or this motif. But there's so much stuff around it that only Pat knows what he's using it as, um, as, as his inspiration for creating lines, right? So that's the eighth gradient. It's like, you know the melody super well. You've been uh, ornamenting around it and adding chromatics and scales and stuff and arpeggios and alterations. Now it's kind of... It might not even be there, or if people will transcribe your solo, they'll be like, hmm, we don't have a lot of traces of the melody, but if we look for it, we may find it. That's, um, that's it. And the ninth gradient of improv is, <laughs> is one, well, I don't really get, because I think there could have been eight or nine gradients, but uh, the ninth gradient is almost no reference to the original melody anymore. Just your own thing. And then step, th this is... Kind of a where you know can can I distinguish if somebody's on eighth, ninth, or tenth? I I can't tell you. I can I couldn't make it up unless I I practiced it. And that's the big takeaway. It's a it's probably more what's happening in your mind while you're improvising that's important. If you say I'm doing step eight, I'm doing this on purpose, then you're doing step nine. Um, you try to do things differently instead of mindlessly running through changes or or scales or licks that you already know. So. Um, as I wrote in the blog post, this is mind over matter, right? And then the 10th gradient, uh, Lee Conus, just no example. He just writes down by hand an act of pure inspiration. So I think you know where it's going. It's just once you're in the moment, you hear something, you follow it, and that's what it is. So to wrap up this podcast, number 26, thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of this. I know it's been a long ride and there's a lot of me rambling. I hope it answers your question for the person that asked about uh, this podcast, to, for me to make this podcast. And just to quote something I wrote on the page, again, melody is king. Um, this, this Lee Konitz exercise is just going to help you have more thoughtful, more, more better, more intense, more focused lines. Because as jazz improvisers, sometimes all we do is like, okay, here's B-flat blues. Here's my usual beefs to my flat nine arpeggios, this and that and that. This is a really nice opportunity to say, okay, it's my turn to take a solo. Let me take a step, a step back and not do the same old thing anymore. I, I want to be inspired and you know, feel something and have the listeners feel something. So I hope, I hope this helps. I'll see you soon on jazzguitarlessons.net. Improve your jazz guitar playing with a real teacher. Thank you.